I want to ask you a personal question. Do you read my newsletter, Leadership Forward 321? Because if you don't, I really think you'd like it if you like this podcast. Every Wednesday morning, I send a short newsletter designed to help you lead your organization more strategically and with less overwhelm in five minutes or less. The newsletters are organized around a timely leadership theme and give you something practical that you can apply right away in your organization. I include three of the best articles that I've come across on that theme, two concrete resources or tools that I believe in, and one quote to inspire and motivate you. So if you don't yet get the newsletter, I'm going to make it super easy for you to sign up. Just text the word IMPACT to 66866 and you'll be added to my list. Thanks. Hi, thanks so much for tuning into the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. Each week, I do a deep dive into the strategies and mindset behind launching, scaling, and leading a high-impact nonprofit. I'm your host, Brooke Ritchie Babbage. Thank you so much for joining me. For this week's episode, I was really excited to reconnect with an old friend from graduate school, Adriana Dakin, and her business partner, Abigail Aude. I've been excited to talk with them about ImaginePod, the company that they co-founded to help social impact organizations and movements learn how to use cutting edge marketing strategies and tactics to drive more impact. Anyone who does social impact work knows that in order to really get anything done, to bring about the change we are all working to see in the world, we have to move in concert with others. We need other people to take positive action with us. And that means as organizations and leaders, we have to get good at inspiring and motivating and activating others to take action. That can mean signing up for one of our programs, partnering with us to work in communities that we care about, signing a piece of legislation, donating money, joining our board, becoming an advisor, Anything that we do or create is, at its core, rooted in our ability to move other people to take action with us. So that makes figuring out how to connect with people and inspire and motivate them a critical organizational growth skill and capacity. And the question becomes, how do we get really good at this? So I personally have always been really drawn to figuring out the how of things. And I especially love deep diving into the mechanics of social impact. How do we get even more effective at doing the things with our organizations and our movements and our work that will actually have a concrete positive impact on our world? Talk about that, I get really excited. And that's what Abigail and Adriana and I were talking about. That's what they do with the organizations that they coach and train and support through ImaginePod. I had so much fun talking with these two incredible leaders. We connected about a shared deep passion for social change work and our experiences as what they call mompreneurs, which when I heard it, I loved it. And our love of the how, the mechanics of social impact, which they wonderfully and graciously share in this conversation. There are a lot of gems 
in this one and I hope you enjoy. Hey, Abigail and Adriana, how are you? Great, thank you. I'm very excited to have you guys here today. I have loved and admired what you are building at Imagine Pod for so long now and just being able to sort of geek out over social impact work and supporting social entrepreneurs and getting good work out into the world is, you know, it's one of my favorite things to do. So welcome to the podcast. <laughs> thank you so much. We're excited to be here. Um, so I love starting these conversations with what I have come to call origin stories. Um, basically just introducing listeners to how you both came to be working together, how you formed Imagine Pod, um, how you arrived at this place doing what you are doing. Um, I can jump in and say that first, I, I love that I get to talk with you today because we were classmates at the Harvard Kennedy School years ago. Years ago, that's both, right. Where we both earned our master's in public policy degrees. And maybe now we get to know each other even better now that, you know, we're further along in our what we're passionate about in our lives and in the social impact and social justice space. And the origin of, of Abigail and myself is that we worked together for about seven years with Fission Strategy and Do Big Things, which are two agencies doing social impact consulting with medium to large projects and movements nationally and internationally. So for years, we were just working together doing audits, strategies, campaigns, website interviews, like so many projects. And one of the best things about it was working with Abigail. So then when I moved on, and started thinking about next steps. Um, we after I had after I had left, we had an open door conversation. Like my door is open if you have any ideas, if you want to do anything. Um, and then when the pandemic was starting in March 2020, Abigail said, "Yes, let's do this." <laughs> <laughs> Great time to start something. <laughs> I mean, it just happened to be the shelter in place moment the same month when we were I was homeschooling my kids in my little one room, my library, being a good teacher for two all of two weeks before <laughs> I needed to move back to you know <laughs> my career. Yeah, um, <laughs> we had these. We had an RFP with Equal Justice USA that we. We wanted to collaborate on. So we had a project to work together on um, for repealing the death penalty in two states and running a, a pilot camp, creating a strategy and running a pilot campaign um, in two states to help move the needle by 2022. And then we also had another project to work with a community foundation on getting more completions for the 2020 census to bring more federal dollars mm -hmm. to my county. Yeah. So we had in-depth projects to test out our ideas. And then that went from there. But my my dad was actually the one who gave me my career originally. He hired me early on when I was little in his publishing work and um, his organization incubation work. He was doing citizen diplomacy between the US and USSR. And I eventually went to Russia and he also led me to young women social entrepreneurs in San Francisco where I got just a lot of coaching um, and you know, more of a focus on being a really good communicator and somebody who works from my heart and follows my passion and helping other people to follow their passion as well. Um, and I'd love to hear Abigail's take on it too. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting to think about 
in retrospect and think, wow, that was maybe not the best time to try to think of how to, you know, start a business and also manage the rest of our lives. But I think it happened naturally. And it wasn't at the time, I don't think that it really felt like such a big leap. We had already been meeting prior to that RFP to just say like, what are our personal goals and let's hold each other accountable. So it was like, oh, maybe we should do a blog or this other person wants to do this or that. So we were just like trying to be partners more in life goals. And then, you know, these opportunities came. So we said, let's collaborate and the projects went well. So we're like, okay, let's really turn this more into an official formal thing. So we formed the LLC officially and we're like, let's do this. But over time, I think what happened was it gave us space to like, as Adriana, this is one of my favorite things that she says, and a lot of people love it. We just learned how to build the plane while we were flying. So it's kind of like you start with one thing, which we had a background in consulting, basically, and we were doing that and we continue to do that. But we were starting to kind of reimagine what could we do with our background that might fit who we are personally a little bit better. So we decided, well, we really wanted to productize our services. We want to create digital products and our personal I think our personal strengths really are teaching and training and coaching. Mm -hmm. So we said, let's create a a training and coaching company and not make it so much about the types of consulting that we came from. And Mm -hmm. we wanted to do like a more one-to-many model. So it could be group coaching. I know you know a lot about that and really create a space where we could have people who were from all over the world, working on every type of social impact project you can imagine, but collaborating on how to create funnels to create growth for themselves and really be able to utilize the cross-pollination and the genius that happens when you have such a diverse, but like focused in terms of social impact, but super diverse group of people. And so today we have Um, people who are in Australia in our coaching program and France, South Africa, Canada, Guatemala, like it's awesome to see that this really is possible and it works. Um, And you can create a space where you have really amazingly high quality tactics that you're teaching social impact people, but it's done in a way that is accessible to them because they can do it in their own time and a way that's affordable because it's a a group coaching model Mm -hmm. and doesn't really require them to go and get a grant, for example, or have been like an organization for 10 years with a proven track record to get funding so that they could have some consulting firm implement everything for them. Um, And it just felt better for us. So we were like, okay, let's reimagine where we're coming from and turn it into something. And I think over time, especially now that we're like two years in, we're like, have a lot of clarity on who we are and what we're doing, but it, it didn't start that way. So it's taken time. I mean, I love that for so many reasons. One that I'll highlight here is I think that you just described the journey that so many social entrepreneurs go through. And, um, you know, I think we all, spend a lot of time talking to people who are building social enterprises, who are doing social impact work, who are building nonprofits. And one of the themes that often comes up with the really early stage folks that I work with is um, anxiety around not having everything figured out, right? Like what exactly is our program model? You know, how are we gonna pitch to all of these different people? What's our evaluation data, right? Like they look at, you know, charity water (laughs) and much more stuff, you know, teach for America, much more established organizations. And they think, oh no, I'm so far from that. And what I love about what you just described is 
that it highlights that it's a process, it's organic, that you, um, the, the clarity emerges, right? And you do have to put some anchors in the ground, right? As you get clear about what you want to offer, what your products are, you have to name them. Um, but you're not, you said two years, right? You're two years in. <laughs> um, and I just, I think that's really powerful for people to hear. Um, one question I have is, is that where the name Imagine Pod came from? This idea of sort of reimagining how this, this information gets to people? You might think so, but, and it, I think it, it has, it's evolved new meaning now with our new iteration, but I originally came up with the name around 2013. I actually, um, oh, yeah, my, my kids were really little. Um, I wanted to create a name that wasn't based on my name. You know, I wanted it to have a bigger idea and to grow into something and be flexible with, with what it could be. And so um, I kept coming up with names and looking, oh, it's already taken. Go have a shower, take a walk, drive around, come up with another name. Oh, that's taken. Yes. Um, yeah. But my my concept was that I wanted to have something creative. Um, creativity is at the heart of what I, you know, I'm a maker. I'm a maker. I love to create a company, a team, products, even quilts, pottery, wood. I like things that are both tangible and useful. Um, <clears throat> and so that was the original how, how it came about. But then with Abigail, it's really grown more meaning with, um, you know, having collaboration with others that leads to both greater pleasure and more fun and better outcomes for social justice. Mm -hmm. So our pod is a space for ideas and people to be imaginative and creative in their social impact work. I love that. So, so talk to me about why marketing? Um, Cause I know that that's, the products that you currently focus on and the work that you currently do um, is around marketing a lot of it. And that's not necessarily the extent of what you guys have done professionally leading up to this. I think it's definitely a lot of what you've done, but I feel like given your backgrounds, you could have gone in a lot of different directions in terms of building the capacity, you know, small and mid-sized nonprofits. Um, why marketing? And if I'm running, you know, a small or growing social enterprise or social impact entity, should I be thinking about marketing? Is this something I should be like investing in? Really intrigued by how many social impact people we meet that maybe feel even, I, I guess you could say uncomfortable with marketing in a traditional sense, especially yeah. when it comes to getting coaching and training, because it's oftentimes a world that is so focused on driving revenue and profit and a space. Very schmarmy. Different. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and definitely not a place that I think speaks the language into the heart of people that really, when they wake up in the morning, they're all about impact. Yes. They're looking at, they're evaluating their effectiveness for the communities that they serve, for the people they care about. They're trying to figure out how to actually create movements. And that's not something that although they need marketing for, they would never really necessarily connect the dots because yep. the traditional marketing world and the products out there are not actually marketing themselves to those types of people. Yes. So we were really intrigued by that gap 
we were really like, you know, you, you were reconnecting with Adriana in Amy Porterfield's group. So we were really on top of what I would consider to be like the latest in digital marketing trends and tactics. And we were like, there's this really big gap between the social impact world and the for-profit world, but these tactics are still effective for the things that nonprofits need. So we need to figure out how do we create a bridge that makes everybody understand that Marketing can be what it looks like to them, but it can also be just a tool for relationship building and for creating the types of actions that nonprofits need. So a part of that, which I think most nonprofits would assume is included in this is that, yes, it helps you with fundraising, right? Yes. Marketing yes. can help you with fundraising. It helps you get people to pull their wallets out and, you know, put their And money I think a lot of folks get stuck there, right? Like, okay, yeah. fine. I'll do marketing to drive my fundraising. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or they think that that's what marketing for nonprofits is all about. That's all it's for. Exactly. But at the end of the day, marketing really is just, it's this tool that helps people take any type of meaningful action. So that's how we talk about it with our clients, our cons- our consulting clients and our all of our coaching members. We try to put this in language where they understand that at the end of the day, you have to have a tool for helping to automate action taking. And for nonprofits, the types of actions that you're getting create more impact in the world. So it's really important to learn how do you speed up the process and how do you automate it so that it's not just based on your time, not just based on your network, and it's not just connected to your own skill and ability, right? So what marketing does is it helps you think about, yes, how to get donations, but also how do you get more people to attend your events? How do you get people to vote? How do you get people to apply for programs? How do you get them to call their legislators or volunteer their time to sign petitions, to share campaigns with their network, to do those types of things like sharing personal stories? Like, for example, um, at the agency that we used to work for, um, Do Big Things, we worked on a campaign for Every Town for Gun Safety. And our main goal was just to get people to be brave enough to share their personal stories and images and videos about their experience with gun violence, right? So for nonprofits, a lot of times the actions we need people to take, we wouldn't necessarily think are at all connected to marketing, but they're really important actions that you can use marketing to get more people to do. Yeah, And, And for us specifically, we have a funnel approach. So it's all about automating it. So small teams can actually still create movements and they can actually still create impact and they don't have to necessarily be a charity water to be able to do that in their own way, you know? So, um, marketing for nonprofits is super, super important because if, you know, it's effective in bringing in revenue for companies, imagine how much more effective it can be for actually creating real social change that makes the world better. It's doing the same exact things. It's just doing it on different issues and different types of actions than just making money. And I love that. I mean, there's the fundraising arm, which we, we talked about, but you're talking about essentially a very direct impact on programs also, right? I mean, I do a lot of work with organizations um, that work with young people and questions about how do we build our strategic partnerships with schools? How do we get them to want to partner with us to, you know, sign their young people up for what we do? How do we get parents to care about the programs we're bringing into communities? Um, and I love this direct connection. Marketing is a set of tools to get people to take the action that you want them to take to have the impact that you're trying to have. Um, that's a great way to notch it down. And so 
continuing to sort of go down the funnel here, um, the mechanics a bit, you talked about taking a funnel approach. Um, I have fallen in love with funnels. And I suspect that the three of us have read a lot of the same books <laughs> and done a lot of the same trainings. Um, you know, so a lot of what I teach in my accelerator program is about donor funnels, right? The idea of, you know, getting in front of the right people and moving them through a funnel. And a funnel is a really powerful framework um, to help people understand what the journey that people go on from just finding out about your organization to taking the action you want them to take, right? Walk us through what is a funnel and why is that the approach that you guys really focus on um, in your work with nonprofits? Why is it so powerful for folks to understand? Sure, I can go into some depth about what we're creating in terms of funnels. So there are many types of funnels and lead magnets, etc. Um, the one that and, we and just say what a lead magnet is. Uh, something that will attract somebody to come to your site or wherever, your landing page mm -hmm. and will invite them to opt in to get something that you're providing, like a downloadable, a report, a white paper. Um, but what we do is our lead magnets are quizzes. So they're self-discovery quizzes where people are finding out more about themselves. But then in the process, we're creating a bridge to a topic or an issue. And so what we're doing is creating quizzes as highly effective lead generation tools because it taps into people's, you know, natural born psychology. They want to learn more about their, themselves. And you may have, like many people have seen the Harry Potter quizzes, like what type of character are you? And we are doing it. I'm on obsessed with those. <laughs> all, all of the personality quizzes. <laughs> Yeah. And so you want to keep, you want to have a, a somewhat of a light touch, but you can make the bridge to serious topics. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is um, it's, it's been a successful tactic for increasing supporters in social justice work and social impact work. Like when we created a quiz for Equal Justice USA, it wasn't a quiz specifically about the death penalty. Mm -hmm. It was what's your role in history because they wanted to cast a wide net and bring people in and they they had very effective um extremely coherent people um in the team who could persuade anyone because they had the facts at their fingertips you know that there are innocent people being put to death um by mistake and this should not happen um so they had all the facts at their fingertips but you can't really lead with that in a conversation like why aren't you <laughs> <laughs> i mean you can but people are going to tune you out <laughs> yes so it was much more effective to create a quiz so we brought in 4000 people in just 6 weeks to their email list wow and a certain percentage of them, like three and a half to five percent, were immediately ready to sign a petition to repeal the death penalty in Ohio or Wyoming. But then other people need cultivation and fine, you have them on your email list. That's right. That's you don't right. want it to just be, you know, if it's a petition, then it's something that you're sending out to kind of people who are already mm -hmm. um already ready to sign, but you don't have them on their list ready to cultivate into people who could be ready later yeah. through more, you know, nurturing. So we, we ran, we ran tests, like just adds straight to a petition and adds to our quiz. Mm -hmm. And we got the same amount of action taking for the quiz, but much more lead generation. You know, we could not have had 4,000 leads for the, the small budget that we had for the pilot to be effective. Anyway, so when we're creating, yeah. Can I just say one thing? So mm -hmm. I, one thing I love about the, 
way that you're describing these quizzes is that they are really rooted in the identity of the person taking the quiz. And I think one of the things that's tricky for not just small nonprofits, but a lot of nonprofits is that we start with sort of what we want to tell people. We start with what Mm -hmm. we want them to do. And instead of who are they, what's their affinity, why are they showing up in our ecosystem? And this sort of, I wrote linking self-interest, right? That identity is one of the key drivers of actions people take. So if we want them to take a certain action, people like to act in a way that's aligned with who they believe themselves to be. And so this quiz is like such a quick and easy way to be like, oh, this is who you are. Guess what? There's alignment with this issue that you care about. Um, and then the other really powerful thing, and I want I want to keep sort of talking the mechanics, like I love geeking out over this stuff, um, but I want to lift up that the other really powerful thing about something like a quiz as a sort of top of funnel strategy is that you are much more able to target how you talk to people down the line, how you cultivate them, where you spend your cultivation dollars, exactly. you understand who they are. And so you're just gathering data about people. It's amazing. I love it. Keep going. <laughs> exactly. So you're gathering data. So you're asking questions that um, give you it, their answers. And um, we love to be in the back end, um, you know, working on our tagging and segmentation so that we're learning how people are responding. And we have, um, you know, a de- direct integration between um, the quiz platform and our email platform because we want to know if people are in a nonprofit or a business or if they are all or if they've already, you know, if they're already well developed and mature in their organization or if, or if it's just an idea starting out. So all of those answers integrate right into our CRM Mm -hmm. um, so that if we are then talking with somebody in a coaching, um, you know, consultation, then we can be more specific to what their actual needs are. And we can email them in a way that's segmented based on their interests, their level. You know, there are so many different options for segmentation. The most, the easiest one is like, by bucket. So by result, like their quiz result is X. So you can email them in a certain way. Like we have a quiz where if your goal is to build revenue, um, we have custom messaging to help them build their revenue. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if their goal is fundraising, then we have tips that we give them for helping them with fundraising. Mm -hmm. So segmentation is a key goal of quizzes and it helps organizations be much smarter about building relationships, really deeper relationships more quickly. So I want to stay there for just a a moment because anytime I have conversations on the podcast or just with the organizations that I work with about um, communicating with supporters, people in their ecosystem, potential donors, existing donors, um, I am, I don't know why it still surprises me, but I still feel like somewhere in people's minds, they are like, everybody should love my mission. Like segmentation sounds important. I hear it. I understand it intellectually. But really, if I say the right thing, everybody will donate because what I'm doing is amazing. And I'm being a little bit, you know, like flip about it because obviously nobody feels that. But I do think that there's sort of like a, if I put up the right billboard, you know, if I send the right email, then people will see and will love it and they will give. And there's real 
there there can be real tension with yeah. really smaller organizations that don't have huge teams to analyze data that the step of like identifying your donor profiles identifying your segments feels like a nice to have but what i hear you saying and what i believe in my heart and just like wish i could inject into everybody is it's not a nice to have it is the foundation <laughs> for everything yeah. you want to do the need to like back me up on this is that what you're seeing is that you know yes that's the driver for the funnel right yeah and social impact movements can um make more have more impact faster if they're tapping into core desires about self-discovery yeah. or, or survival or love like these really basic things that we feel um that people themselves need rather than pushing their mission right from the start mm -hmm. So tap into core desires, but then yes, also know your personas. First of all, that, that's the first thing we always focus on mm -hmm. is um, build, helping people build out personas in a really detailed way about motivations, goals, pain points, interests, mm -hmm. where to find them, like what channels you can find them on. Mm -hmm. And then we go into messaging, planning about tone, voice, phrases, traffic to sources to find the right people. And with that kind of basis, then we think about what's the hook that can bring people in yeah. that that taps into what they are interested in and also ties into what we offer. So you want to know what you offer and you want people to do, but you also want to know how to bring them in. And that's where your hook comes in. What they care about. Absolutely. That's just it's so clear. <laughs> I love that. What? Um, so you guys talk about. Um, sort of the kinds of, and you teach people about the kinds of digital assets, right? The things that they should create um, and focus on. So if I'm a small nonprofit, I don't have a marketing team, you know, or a huge staff, what do you guys advise as being the most important sort of digital assets to focus on for, well, I guess that would depend on sort of what the outcome is. Let's say for fundraising purposes to start with. Like, are there different kinds of digital assets that people should focus on to, you know, lead magnets they should create? Like, yeah. What about that? Yeah, our perspective, honestly, it actually goes across the board. So whether you're kind of fundraising hey, or okay. advocacy actions or revenue building, our belief is that really, if you're not building your email list, yeah. it's not going to give you the type of return that especially yeah. for a small team that you're you really deserve so that's the key that's exactly. the first one yeah yeah so email list or sms list because there are some organizations where because of their audience maybe it makes more sense to be asking for a phone number mm -hmm. before you're asking for more information from that contact yeah. like their name and and their address and you know their email and all those things but you need some type of a list that you technically own so that you have that path to directly connecting with them. And the great thing about those lists is that they're really versatile. So you can use them for remarketing and ads and things like that. And so it's not like you're just, if you're focused on building your email list, it's not like you're neglecting all of these other channels that maybe feel a little bit more popular or a little bit more yeah. important, like your social media platforms or things like that. But what you're doing is you're saying, we have to prioritize our direct access to our leads that we actually own so that if Facebook, oh, just randomly goes down, which or is changes their algorithm or could never happen. 
<laughs> right. Or, you know, or, and, and then also it's just like, because I think that the mentality that you talked about where people know that they can't do everything and they don't have the ability to be able to be a super niche expert on every single platform, like Google ads and YouTube and LinkedIn and all the up and coming ones like TikTok and clubhouse. And, yes. you know, so the goal would be is that you really understand first and foremost, how do you build your email list and then using other pathways to continue to build it over time. But at least, you know, that you have that list that you own and you understand how to use it in a way that we would say like in a sophisticated way. So you don't just have, which, you know, it's understandable if you, if you do so many nonprofits just have a list and they're like, we don't really know. I mean, yeah. we just give a newsletter to everybody. Newsletter, like exactly. Yeah. Automations. Like what, what is that? You know, but the goal would be that you're building an email program. And so you have this list that you own. Yes. You have the ability to grow it, but then you also know how to use it in a way that's actually potentially way more powerful than if they were just your Facebook followers or way more powerful than if they were watching your subscribe to your YouTube channel. What you really want to do is build up your ability to have an asset that you own where you're also really utilizing it to its fullest potential. There's a lot of sophistication and functionality to platforms that most nonprofits never dive into, but if they just allocate a little bit more time and focus on their email lists that they own, Mm -hmm. then I think they would see, oh, wow, this is actually a really great place for us because sustainably we're going to be seeing more of a return on the actions that we want because the people know us and trust us and we know exactly how to use our email list to get the things done that we need to do what i love oh yeah go ahead one thing we do with um with client organization lists and advise doing is creating lookalike lists and that's one of the most powerful way to find more of the types of people that you want mm-hmm. so say you build a couple hundred a list of a couple hundred donors or a couple thousand or particular types of people who are interested in a certain event and then you find lookalikes of them platforms are really good at finding lookalikes and they are consistently high performers in organization after organization where we run campaigns we run many audiences and lookalikes of their email list do really well so it's something that you definitely you want to create your custom audience upload your list and then let the platform find more of those types of people more like that. I mean, so there are two things and I'm going to ask at the end sort of where folks can learn more and work with you guys, but there are two things that come to my mind that I want to sort of lift up. One is a lot of what you're talking about opens the door for organizations to get smarter about Facebook ads or or LinkedIn ad, ads, right? Instagram ads, mm-hmm. Facebook ads, social media ads, Google ads, etc. Um, to drive people. Um, and that I think can feel scary to some folks. Um, and so that's that's one thing that I want to highlight. Do you guys do work around ads or do you have a recommendation? Are there like resources if folks get to the point where they're like, I'm sold, I'm in, but wait a, but wait a minute, Facebook ads. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not waiting into that pool, you know, so they yeah. sort of, it stops them in their tracks. There's a lot of this that's actually a bit scary from the start. So yeah. we help break things down into fun bite-sized chunks. 
And actually, it, we're helping organizations be smarter in the full set of things that they do because the results from quizzes break into category buckets that help people with segmentation that's automatically in their email system when it's set up. The downloadable report from a quiz helps increase opt-ins and email de deliverability. And then when you're setting up an automated email sequence, that also teaches you how to create one for your general subscriber list, like people who didn't take the quiz you can duplicate your welcome email series make some edits and have it running for your other you know most a lot of organizations want to have a welcome sequence but they might not or they only have three emails in it or one and not maybe as many as they should right when people's interest is really fresh and they really remember you more so capitalize on that moment like those first seven days are really important mm -hmm. so even if it's not a quiz you're learning it you might with us they're learning it for the sake of a quiz funnel but use this knowledge everywhere mm -hmm. and then we're yes we're teaching ads um, to use for bringing in audiences for a quiz, but you can also use it to create more of a digital newspaper where you're Absolutely. like boosting blog posts and keeping yourself in the mind of people or running your next ad for remarketing. And we have a community manager who's awesome and very, you know, very confident and knowledgeable. So she jumps in with trainings and people soak it up. And then we ourselves have ad experience. So we've created tons of strategies and run campaigns. Um, so we just, you know, do screen share, show people how it's done. It's when you actually see how it's done, you can just set your campaign at like $5 a day. It doesn't need a lot of, a, a lot of money. You That's see right. how to like, we have a naming hierarchy that so, so it's not, you're not wondering how to set your campaign name, your ad set name, your ad, you know, it all makes sense when you have this kind of structure to follow. Mm -hmm. And then you're just, you're, you know, you're developing a headline, some text, and then if you run it and it doesn't work, no worries, pivot, rewrite. It's only been $25, absolutely. Again, yeah. You know, there's a nice little duplicate button so you don't have to do it all from scratch. You can make your tweaks, publish it again, go see how that does. Yeah. So yeah. we're all about like testing, iterating, learning, constant improvement um, and doing it in a way that's manageable. We actually have a coaching member who was so like, I don't really know much about ads, but I'm just going to do like, just set something up yeah. and using our method with a quiz funnel, got ads running and was able to get over a thousand leads in just a week. And he was like, oh my gosh, what do I do now? Because it actually yeah. worked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you said at the beginning, the automation, right? It's fuel on a, on a sort of system that works on a funnel. Right. I love that. Exactly. Um, one thing that I want to just mention before we we close um, that that's sort of what you were talking about, Abigail, about this the power of this email list um, and leveraging it for more than just like a newsletter, which I don't want to like imply the newsletter is bad. You should definitely be communicating with the folks on your list. And I think part of what you're saying is there's so much more you can do. I talked before about this idea of like the billboard way of communicating with people. Like I'm just gonna send some stuff out, out or like put up a billboard and hope people see it and love it. What I love about email, like really strong email programs, and I think this is what you're really trying to drive home with the folks you work with and the, um, the folks listening to the podcast, is that a really strong email program is much more intimate or has the potential to be much more intimate. That, you know, I always tell the folks that I coach, if I, go to a party 
and meet someone, have an amazing conversation. We're like vibing around something we both care very deeply about. And then four days later, I get a letter from that person, right? That's like, hey, I remember meeting you. Remember we talked about this. It was so amazing hearing about your son and the work that you've done on anti-poverty work. I have this event coming up, would you go with me? Like that feels amazing. And the closer we get in our communications with the people in our world to that, the more likely they are to respond, to take the action we want them to take. And that's what I hear you saying, the, the email list, it's not just a list of names, it's, it's opportunities to send these powerful, intimate, personalized connections to people so that when they open them, they're like, oh, you're talking to me, it's not a billboard. You do care that it's me you're talking to and not the general public. When you have that as the mindset, wherever you are as an organization, you're just continually optimizing towards that, the relationship building aspect, even at Imagine Pod, we're learning that, right? Like I would suggest nonprofits look at even just a sampling of the new opt-ins that they get and just manually research the names and get a sense for who am I actually reaching, right? It's a little sample size. And when we did that as just Imagine Pod, we were like, well, we're reaching some amazing people. We want to figure out ways where we can more quickly engage with them as a person to be able to respond to them in a way that's very, personalized because we really like seriously would love to get on a one-on-one call with them because we love to work with those types of visionaries. We love to work with people who are doing this work. So I think if you have that mindset, it helps you with building your email program. Even if you're, you feel like you're so far from that type of sophistication, yeah. it's just the mindset to have. Yeah. I love it. And you might get some people who don't like this personal touch and they might unsubscribe and that's fine. Then your list is getting cleaner and you're keeping up with more of the people you do want to reach with your authentic personality. And those who do want to be there want to, they, you know, they love you more. Exactly. Um, That's right. And it's, it's this segmentation. It's who are my people. Um, So to bring us to a close, what, What's one piece of advice that you guys would offer small and growing nonprofits that want to increase action taking um, in service of a social impact they're trying to have? One of the things that I would say, and I think this comes from our long background over 10 years now working with nonprofits, I think just one simple thing that nonprofits often don't do Um, especially those that are small, but it's pretty simple and easy to do is just to know the benchmarks to know what's possible. So for example, there are a lot of reports and benchmarking types of organizations that nonprofits can look at to understand for our type of nonprofit, like whether it's a human rights nonprofit or it's an environmental nonprofit or whatever, what are they doing marketing wise? What's possible for us there? We're looking at it based on size. You could look at social media following size and what are they saying? You can look at it from the perspective of, um, you know, um, what are other types of nonprofits across the board doing? I mean, we've seen reports that are just focused on some of those segments. Mm -hmm. And if you just know across the board, most nonprofits are, just now starting to use LinkedIn ads. Yes. You understand, well, a lot of nonprofits now are fundraising with Facebook. Like, okay, how do, how could we utilize that or what's possible even for our size or for our specific like industry, if you will, and, and the type of nonprofit work we do. 
that alone, I think is really powerful. Like, so for example, you could go to a nonprofit report like MNR benchmarks, mm-hmm. and you could just use their little filtering tool to figure out what are organizations that are focused on human rights issues? What are, what are they saying, right? Like they're saying 28% of their online revenue come from email. Well, that's really helpful to know because yeah. then you know where you stand and what's possible, right? Or that the average online gift for a one-time donation is $143, for example. Yeah. Knowing that is so, it's just like a simple thing to know. I think a lot of times nonprofit professionals are like in the space of like, there's so many things to do, but they don't even really know like, what is our goal? What is possible? What are other people doing and seeing? So we can really focus in on like, well, we really should be at a place where we get about 30% of our online revenue coming through our website or coming through our email program. Just knowing that I think empowers you enough and cuts down a lot of the overwhelm. I love it. And and can block out some of the noise, the things you you really don't need to be focused on. Absolutely. What if it, I, would, yeah. I would say take it step by step, as we mentioned earlier, so it's not um, overwhelming. Done is better than perfect. Get like the 20, the next 20 minute bite sized thing done and then move on to the next thing. One thing at a time. Fly it. I mean, build it while you're flying it and then also do it in collaboration with like minded others. So it's been really important for me and Abigail to have each other. So finding the right professional partner has been life changing. And then the right team. We have amazing people that we work with in our team. People that we are are in our coaching program are even changing our lives because the people that you're around and that you hang out with. Um, you know, they can have a really big impact on your life. It's not just your family. So those you can be honest with, those you love and trust and can share information fully with, show up fully with as your full person and your full brilliance and have fun with, that's what I would think would be the most important thing. I love it. Well, it has been an absolute delight talking to both of you. We got to connect a little bit before, you know, I hit record and that was so much fun hearing about, just all of the things you're both balancing while you are building this incredible company. So, you know, I said this off the air, I will say it on the air. I have such admiration for what you're doing, for why you're doing it and for the impact you're having. I have a soft spot in my heart for people who support people doing social impact work. So I'm really, I'm really happy to have spent this time talking with you guys. Likewise. It's amazing to have have had this chance to talk with you and spend, you know, time really getting to know you. And I hope it's the beginning of getting to know you even more and what you do in your accelerator and as a professor and a mom, everything that you do. (laughs) Wonderful. So can you uh, wrap us up by saying where can people find more information about ImaginePod um, and find out how to work with you guys? Yeah. So the best way is to just visit our website. So it's www.imaginepod.com. And once you visit the site, you'll see right at the top at the header is our quiz. Of course, we have our own (laughs) quiz. So you need to go there and take our quiz so that you can (laughs) connect with us in that way. Uh, What will happen is you will get a welcome email from us. um, And we would really love it if you would actually hit reply and let us know that you came to us because you heard us on Brooke's podcast. That would be awesome. Amazing. Thank you, ladies. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you, Brooke. Thanks, Abigail. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you think what we talk about here, the trainings and the guests and the conversations could benefit another leader in your life, I'd love if you would leave a review and share with your friends. If you want to take the next step and begin to put into practice what we talk about on this podcast, I've created a toolkit where I collect and share downloads from many of our conversations. It's got templates, worksheets, and references to help you execute on what we talk about here on The Mastermind. There's lots of great stuff, and I add to it almost every week. You can download it at richiebabbage.com backslash architecture of impact toolkit. I also want to share another free resource for leaders of growing nonprofits. It's a free training. It's called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. The four questions you need to ask to know if your nonprofit is really ready to scale. Growing an organization doesn't happen by accident, as we all know. You have to take the right strategic steps at the right time to avoid overwhelm and burnout and that horrible feeling that so many of us have had as you watch the work of your organization outstrip capacity and sometimes even funding. It's almost impossible to reverse engineer good growth. And by that, I mean growth that can be sustained over time just by looking at what you think you see in other organizations. So in this free training, I help cut through all the noise and I identify the four simple questions that if you really engage with them and think about them, will tell you when you're ready to grow without frenzy, without overwhelm, and with the confidence that you're making the right moves for your organization. You can access the training at richiebabbage.com backslash ready to scale. Finally, if you'd like more leadership resources and strategies in your life, sign up for my weekly newsletter, Leadership Forward 321. Each week, I curate and share three articles, two resources, and a quote on a theme. You can get that at richiebabbage.com backslash Leadership Forward 321. That's all for now. Have a great week, and I'll see you back here next week for more Mastermind.